Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, good morning. <laughs> it's good to see your faces. It's good to see some new people as well. So I have wrestled with this passage. I must say it's probably one of the hardest passages I have had to contend with. It's humbled me in many ways. It is one of the many times in scripture where there is a gravity of the message, a beautiful invitation presented, but it requires soul searching. At All Souls, we celebrate weekly the table, and it is set with care. It was one of the things I first noticed when I came here, how beautiful this table is. And as I learned the practices of this special community, I have been made aware that the tablecloth is in fact a contribution of many families. It's been a collaborative effort. Squares were created and brought together in loveliness. This cloth speaks to the truth that we are united in Christ Jesus. We are participants in a holy meal. Our weekly celebration of communion is a reminder of how each of us needs God. There is no pecking order in the kingdom. The heart of God is demonstrated in the invitation to the table. In this text this morning, a Pharisee had invited Christ to a meal. The Pharisees were the keepers and overseers of religious behavior. We do not know which Pharisee extended the invitation or the purpose of the offer. The lines of disagreement between religious power versus God's humility are clearly drawn. But Christ chooses to enter this dwelling. The Pharisees are watching. Jesus enters and sits, scrutinized. As a guest, Jesus observes how the other visitors place themselves. Where one sat indicated their power their connections, and their class. Those closest to the host indicated that they were more valuable. The table in this Pharisee's home was not reflecting the ways of God. There was division and wrestling for prized places. An attitude permeates this residence. It was offensive to the heart of Christ. Upon taking notice of this competitive grappling, Jesus speaks. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The new kingdom is a reversal of ways no longer seeking the top, but preferring that which is low. 
Christ is challenging us to be disciples. And in Philippians 2, 5 and 6, it reads, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Each of us are called to be like him, leaving the seats of distinction for others, stationing ourselves so that if honor is to come, it is not from us. Prestige and glory is for another, the way of Christ, unassuming. Notice that Christ is also protecting us from experiencing the humiliation brought forth as a result of our unmindfulness. The host may have a different idea. We are to be humble. In a society that thrives in self-promotion and elevation, a system that elevates the powerful in academia, art, and business, Jesus is asking us to be like him, emptying ourselves in the form of servants, becoming more godlike than human. As visitors in another home, the call of Christ is meekness. Humility is a key marker in our citizenship, and Jesus has exemplified this way of selfishness as he took on our humanity. Tim Chester, in his book, Meals with Jesus, writes, Meals can be a visual visual representation of our hearts. I'm going to say that again. Meals can be a visual representation of our hearts. And in this setting, the hearts of guests were laid bare by the clarity of Christ's vision. Jesus is teaching us divine table manners. In the next parable, Christ addresses the host directly. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The focus has shifted. We are no longer the guest, but the host. Who is invited to our tables? Who have we embraced in our homes? Are we not to invite family and friends? There's a ploy in this story. It is called an idiomatic expression. Idiomatic expressions can be used to make a point in informal language that is not meant to be literal. Example could be, it's raining cats and dogs. We've never witnessed that, right? But we know it means it's raining really hard. So when Jesus is speaking of friends and relatives, he is not saying to not invite them, but rather, are your invitations exclusionary? In the second story, Christ speaks to the fact that with friends, relatives, and people of similar means, you will be invited in reciprocity. That is your reward, an understood dynamic of further invitations to come. Not so when hosting those not like you. Awkward moments are guaranteed. Naturally, we are attracted to those like us. That's not a bad thing. However, our table exposes our prejudice. Maybe it is income or class that provides obstacles. 
Your home does not match the potential guest. Maybe you invited someone to a restaurant, and when selecting the place, you choose a two-store, and guess what they choose? Number five. There are dietary constraints, access of home to be considered. There are customs in other cultures that might require some research. We all carry a set of prescribed behaviors and customs, and if we only invite those who will conduct themselves in respect to ours, we are no different than the Pharisees. Yet we have so much love and grace in our Christ. As I have considered who has sat at my table over the years, I come with a deeper conviction to change. The kingdom ways are not mine, but heed them, I must. However, I am so greatly comforted by the fact that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I hold this truth very close. When Jesus sheds light on our lives, it is an invitation to grow in grace. It is wrapped in love. We have an opportunity to mature in our citizenship. Jesus desires our understanding as disciples, as followers of Christ, there to be an expectation of openness. The Messiah is sitting in a Pharisee's home after all. The Gospel of Matthew includes a question. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us know this scripture. If anyone asked us what is the greatest commandment, we could easily answer this. Both of these stories are directing us to love our neighbor. Our homes, as Tim Keller states, are opportunities for gospel hospitality. Gospel hospitality invites those who are often uninvited, unnoticed, and different. People of another socioeconomic status, political leanings, the sick and lonely are looking to us. Is Jesus real? Is the banquet truly for all? There is no glory in such practices. There is no financial gain or prestige to be gained in the company of people not like us. There is a reward, but for some unrealized until we see our Christ face to face. But let's not forget we are called by his name. We've received much. We are on the outside. We were on the outside. Once the outcast, and through the generosity and grace of Christ, we have a sealed invitation to feasting. In Luke 6, it says, But those who don't put into practice what they have heard are like a person who builds a house without a foundation. Our lives are a new practice, not the I'll scratch your back so you can scratch mine. Our faith demands a gaze into our spiritual mirrors. It requires close scrutiny of what we are actually doing and becoming. As we purpose to practice hospitality, let us remember our hearts. Bob Bob Goff says, we shouldn't say everyone is invited if we are going to act like they are not welcome when they come. 
Sincerity of God's love must be an integral part of our hospitality. I squirm, really, literally. I've been squirming a lot this week as I speak. I've wrestled with this text. I could find no way to diminish the necessity of welcome. This is a difficult dinner conversation. In the original Greek, per Tim Keller, he says hospitality actually means to privilege the strange, favor or give special attention to difference. I giggle with the thought, for are we not strange? Are we not quirky? I know I am, very much so. And I assure you, I'm not alone. (laughs) So we are a funny people. There's a lot of opportunity. So I'm going to borrow a rule of thumb from Tim Keller. He has a three-pronged approach in regard to hospitality. Invite other Christians. Invite neighbors. Invite needy people. We might observe in our lives an imbalance. Often in life, we carry views, our perspectives. We serve our conclusions that may prevent a new friendship. We might miss a beautiful meal with the joy of finding idiosyncrasies in humanity among us. We might overlook an incredible opportunity to enjoy the serendipitous nature of God as we practice the glorious work of invitation. Since I have moved to Virginia, I have experienced God's love in a way I never expected. I have new neighbors in Charlottesville. They are twins, for starters, born and raised as Southern women. I am of the West. Politically, we are not on the same page, but they love Jesus. They love Jesus with a passion that overwhelms me as they generously share their hope and their love. They have prayed for me, wept with me, and embraced me as I am. It has been a true gift that if left to my own preferences, I would not have experienced. If I had put up my unwelcome walls of sameness, what I would have missed. They pray for me. Do you know what it feels like to have twins pray for you? It's awesome. They are most likely praying right this moment. They've been praying for me all week. In all my years of ministry and life, I have never experienced the gracious and eternal love of our God presented by these two very dear, older, godly Southern women. They are a breath of fresh air and life, a surprising pleasure orchestrated by God, a taste of heaven, to be sure. I have observed people of all souls practicing humble invitation. It blesses my heart every time. There are those in this room who grieve for the child yet to come home. Those who live in neighborhoods to practice God's huge heart. Others who have walked with others yet to feel welcome due to toxic racism. I watch the daily practice of parents with children who have incredible needs. God sees you. I am proud to be among you. I love your big hearts. And yet, there is a call 
to do even more. During the passing of the peace, do we see the new person or connection with friends? Upon our meeting of a stranger, do we pursue them with invitation? Can you imagine entertaining angels unaware? Engaging in the inclusion of others who are created in the image of God? We cannot comprehend the love of God if our role as host and guest is self-seeking. We cannot honor God in such exclusionary living. The banquet table is for all. We have been living with many constraints when it comes to relationships, COVID, politics, race, gender, age, class, along with our own exclusionary habits. Jesus is inviting us to break through societal norms and become revolutionary in loving others. Our tables are to reflect the most blessed table of all. The feast of eternity will be a party of all kinds. Every nation, kingdom, and tribe will be present. The eternal home will be filled with the laughter and love of God's family. Each person different, all reflecting their God. At this moment, we are given an incredible opportunity, incredible chance to be setting this eternal table as guests and hosts. In my mind's eye, I have a picture. It is a vast, vast table whose end is not in sight. Jesus is present to all. It is a setting where we understand each other, where though different, we speak the same language of love. Our joy is beyond bounds as we are all seen and cherished. We are at our highest capacity of our true calling. All tears are gone. <laughs> Sorrows no longer remembered and all barriers removed. We are home. This hope within us, this table so beautiful and varied is the heart of God. Our holy meal is made holy by the inclusive practice. In the here and not yet, let's bring holiness to the here and now. Open homes, open invitations, open hearts in faith and hope and love. May the Lord's peace be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.